One of my favorite ways to unwind is by playing a game on my phone while I relax on the couch. And June's Journey is my new favorite as it combines several of my favorite things, finding hidden items, decor and design, and solving a murder. In June's Journey, you dive into June's captivating quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret while discovering the truth behind the unexplained death of her sister. As you uncover clues, you also get to build your own island estate with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. You get to collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. You get to chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This is They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I'm Sadie Eck. And I am Courtney Eck. And it's Courtney's night. She's yeah. She's tell you a story. And wowie, wow, my God, do I have a story for you tonight. This is a listener suggestion. And the further I got into the story, the crazier it got. It is rough. It is so much rougher than I thought it was when I jumped in. Uh-huh. I didn't. I honestly didn't know where it was going to go, but I did not think it was going where it was going. So, oh no! Hang on to your panties. Also, really quick, very. Give me one minute before we jump in. I just want to say, I got gently scolded on TikTok from a listener, who, longtime listener, who said, "How did I not know that you had a narrative horror podcast, Courtney? How am I just <laughs> learning about this? You must talk about it at the end." Which is true because we keep the banter at the back, traditionally. Yep. So any promotion of that podcast has come at the end. So if you're a skipper, which I do not blame you for skipping, (laughs) I have been promoting pretty frequently my horror podcast. It's narrative. I write most of the stories, as does a They Will Kill listener, Beck Stranger, Mm -hmm. a brilliant little fucking weirdo from Scotland who just sits in Scotland and all of its Scotland Beauty, beautiness and gorgeousness and writes the m- worst and most fucked up things you've ever <laughs> imagined. So thank you, Beck, you crazy lunatic. Um, but yeah, we write the stories. I have the most brilliant people narrating them. It's getting better and better. I think you should check it out. If you like horror, you should jef- definitely check it out, especially if you like Stephen King style horror. Yeah, it's seriously good. Seriously, seriously good. Not just my sister saying that. So, end of promotion. Thank you for bringing that up, Jen. I appreciate it. Yeah, um, listen to the banter, then you'll learn stuff. Yeah, you'll learn no, so I'm much kidding. about us. Like, you we're annoying. Care. Very annoying. Almost intolerably so. So, so I am not going to talk anymore about that. I'm going to talk about the gruesome abduction and murder of Janet Chandler. Big time old trigger warning for torture and rape, guys. Mm. So in 1979, 22-year-old Janet Chandler lived in Holland, Michigan, and was studying music at Hope College and worked nights as a desk clerk at the Blue Mill Inn. 
This is our second story in Holland, which makes me think that Holland is somehow cursed. Uh-huh. Because Holland is right up the road from me, about 45 minutes an hour from where I live. Around 2 a.m. on January 31st, Janet was on the phone with the security guard when someone entered the hotel and told Janet to give them the money from the cash register, which she did. The guard heard Janet say, quote, don't take it all, sir. And witnesses said they saw a man putting Janet into a, quote, Jeep type vehicle soon after. When authorities arrived on the scene, Janet was nowhere to be found and $500 had been stolen. Janet Chandler was born in Muskegon, Michigan, and grew up with her parents, Glenna and Jim, and two brothers, Dennis and James Jr., She was described as an incredibly kind, happy, easygoing, and fun-loving person. She was a very loving and caring big sister and a very talented singer who excelled in her school's choir. Her father, Jim, said that on one occasion, Janet was practicing her singing in their home, and when he looked outside, he saw that all of the neighbors were gathered in the street in front of their house to listen to her beautiful music. Oh, my God. I know. She decided to pursue her love for music at nearby Hope College and planned to become a music teacher or find a career in theater after graduation. Quote, my goals are first to acquire what God wants for me. She had written, his desire is for me to acquire my bachelor's degree in in music vocal education, then my master's degree. I hope to teach in a private, probably Christian school and also work in theater in opera. I mean, like an actual angel. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like devoutly Christian, kind, sweet, sheltered, sweet, sweet, sweet height. And Hope College, as I'm about to explain, Hope College is a conservative Christian institution and suited Janet well as she was a deeply spiritual person and was very devoted to her conservative Christian roots. And she was also known to only socialize with other people from the church. She seemed to contemplate her religion deeply and would write down things like, quote, when was Paul saved? When the Lord spoke to him to go or when he obeyed God and went. Hmm. Just sitting around like thinking about Paul's, (laughs) um, yeah, salvation. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't really date, at least not long term. And her music professor at Hope said she struggled to make friends and also had difficulty with her academic studies. Despite her social struggles, Janet did have a best friend named Lori Swank, and the two shared an apartment together in Holland. Lori was a supervisor at the Blue Mill Inn and had been the one to get Janet the job that she was working when she was abducted. During the winter that Janet and Lori were working together at the Blue Mill, 80 security workers who were employed by the Wacken Hut Security Company were living at the inn. They had been brought in to help keep the gates open at a nearby paint plant after 200 workers had walked out and called a strike. Quote, the picketers taunted the guards, the guards harassed the strikers and threw spikes under their tires. It was an ugly, tension-filled time. The guards liked to let loose at the Blue Inn after their long shifts. Janet and Lori struck up friendships with the group, and Janet was really enjoying the freedom of early adulthood and socializing with new people. So Janet's parents were frantic when they heard the news 
that she'd been abducted, and her father Jim and brother Dennis immediately drove to Holland and drove around all night looking for their missing family member. (laughs) Just a day later, around 1.30 a.m., a snowplow driver was driving around an hour south of where Janet had disappeared, spotted fresh vehicle tracks leading into the woods, and decided to take a look. When he did, he and I'm assuming, because, I mean, anybody who doesn't live in the Midwest hearing, that's like, why would you do that? But I'm sure it was probably his friend Jim's property, and he was like, who's driving on Jim's property? Like, mm-hmm. in the Midwest, if... Sorry, there's a street sweeper driving by my <laughs> house right now. So in the Midwest, if you see any sign of foul play yeah, of your friend's or, property mm-hmm. or possessions of any kind, yeah, you're going and taking a look. When he did, he spotted something in the snow near a highway crossover and was horrified to confirm that it was the partially naked body of Janet Chandler. Oh, An autopsy would show that Janet had been bound, blindfolded, and most likely gagged, confined for around six hours, during which time she was raped and she was eventually strangled to death and then disposed of on the side of the road. Her clothes, watch, and jewelry had all been removed, and police were baffled as to who would want to abduct, rape, and murder the young music student. A terrible, terrible person. A terrible, terrible person. At first, they assumed it was a robbery gone wrong, but after confirming Janet's awful final 24 hours, they suspected something much more targeted and sinister. Mm. And also, just to give you guys a picture, Holland, Michigan is exactly what you would expect. It looks like Holland. There are little windmills there. They have six million tulips that bloom in the spring and they'll Mm -hmm. find you $50 if you pick one of them. And it's just idyllic. It's right off of the shores of Lake Michigan. It's, you know, it's a beautiful, quaint vacation community. It doesn't feel unsafe in any way whatsoever. No, no. (laughs) They have windmills. They have freaking windmills. They have six million tulips that bloom. It's, yeah, it's ridiculous. This whole Southwest Michigan, it's not without its issues, but it's like antique stores, fruit farms. It's exactly what you would imagine. So additional detectives were brought in to help with the investigation and helicopters and scent dogs were deployed to search the area near where the body was found. Police were also on the lookout for the vehicle that had left the tracks in the snow and urged citizens to come forward to report any vehicles they'd seen in the area on the night of Janet's murder. Hundreds of people who knew Janet were interviewed And they specifically targeted guests and workers at the inn in case anyone had seen or heard anything leading up to or after the murder. Robert Lynch was the security guard who had been speaking with Janet when the robbery had started. So was the prime witness in the case, considering he'd heard part of the crime in progress, but he didn't have a lot of additional helpful information as he'd only been able to hear the beginning of the crime and hadn't witnessed anything in person. And he was one of the security guards staying at the hotel? Correct, yes. So he was talking to her on the phone as a guest, and that happened, and he immediately called 911. Okay. So Janet's best friend, Lori, was also thoroughly questioned, as she'd been Janet's closest friend, 
and had also supervised her at the inn, but she hadn't been working the night of the murder and couldn't fathom who would want to abduct and murder her sweet, gentle friend. Police set up a special task force for the case, announced a $1,000 reward for any information leading to the capture of Janet's killer, and received over a 1,000 pages of tips as a result, but none of them led to a break in the case, unfortunately. Despite massive efforts on the part of police and the community, the case eventually went completely cold. In the meantime, Janet was laid to rest and a recording of her own voice singing the hymn, My Jesus, was played at her own funeral. Oh, chills. Chills. Uh, her parents were like, yeah, we never listened to that again. And I'm like, no. Oh, God. I wonder if when it started playing at the funeral, they were like, this was this a bad is, idea. Yeah, <laughs> like that's it's, so haunting. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, like such a good idea, but also I don't think I could handle that. That would, I have to literally have chills all over my body. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's a lot. So police continued to revisit the case over the years, and occasionally the case would get their full attention again, like when serial killer Donald Leroy Evans was arrested in 1991 and had actively been killing during the time that Janet was killed. The FBI looked into a handful of cold cases from the time, including Janet's, and while Evans had lived in Holland, Michigan in 1981, they couldn't find any evidence at all that he had been there in 1979. Wow. And so the case went cold again. Can you imagine? I would be like, fuck it, close enough. <laughs> right? like, close enough. <laughs> Oh, that would have like been something. so frustrating. Yeah, my God. That's too many coincidences. Seriously. I would have that. Oh, my God. I bet they would. If it was me, I would have just locked in on that for years. Yeah. Be like, there's no way. There's no way. In fact, the case remained cold for 25 years. And the Holland Police Department kept a photo of Janet posted in full display so that they would never forget about the sweet young woman who was savagely murdered in their town. Mm-hmm. Then in 2003, a group of film students studying at Hope College came across Janet's story and decided to make a documentary about her unsolved case. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Around that time, Dr. David Schock was an associate professor of communications at Hope, and he met with the chief of police at the time to discuss ways that police and the media could work better together in pursuit of justice for the crimes they covered. The chief expressed during that meeting that he was close to retirement, and so Dr. Schock asked him which case had haunted him during his career, and he immediately pointed to the photo of Janet Chandler that had hung in the station for most of his career. Ugh, I don't know, that makes me emotional. (laughs) Dr. Schock then told his students about the case, and they were immediately invested in the young student who had attended their same school two decades before, but had been murdered before she could graduate to pursue her dreams. So the team of eight students set about interviewing as many people as they could find who either knew Janet or worked on her case and compiled the footage for four months. Wow. At the end of the four months, they created an 18-minute documentary called Who Killed Janet Chandler? 
and it premiered on local public television and at the school's movie theater on January 28th, 2004. So almost exactly to the day that she was murdered. The audience for the in-person premiere included one of the officers who had investigated Janet's murder in 1979, and the documentary succeeded in renewing the public's awareness and interest in the case. Despite hesitation to revisit the case because it would take an enormous amount of time and resources, the state and local police department decided to finally reopen it as a result of the interest generated by the film. And Janet's parents expressed their gratitude for the filmmakers as they'd long given up hope that Janet's killers would ever be brought to justice. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, they've got to be getting old at this point. Yeah, they're definitely old at this point. <sighs> At the end of the film, Janet's father expressed concern that her mother would die before ever seeing her killer brought to justice. Mm. Quote, it would be a whole lot better to find out who did this and see justice done, he said. The killer will ultimately get punished, but we probably won't know about it. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine. No. Oh, my God. Living your whole entire life wondering... Who did this horrible thing to your daughter and where are they and what have they been doing for the last 25 years while you've just been no. suffering endlessly? Unfortunately, no DNA or fingerprints had been found during the investigation. How is that possible? I don't know. So they wouldn't be able to lean on advancements in forensic science to help solve the case. Instead, they had to painstakingly go back through and identify potential suspects and witnesses to question, as well as every single piece of evidence that had been collected during the initial investigation. They also leaned heavily on the documentary as a tool to potentially inspire someone to confess or elicit a buried memory and showed it to people in over 40 states. I mean, I will, I'm, I say this all the time, but yeah. I can't even like call the dentist. <laughs> I know. I you know? know, like I can't yes. call the dentist to make an appointment. No. Let alone, like I would be the worst detective. Yeah, me too. I would just be like, oh my God, I can't call mm -hmm. them. My anxiety won't let me or what, you know, like I don't, or not yes. even anxiety. I don't know what it is. No, like it's executive exec function. I'm exec the same Right. Way. Yes. I made a TikTok last night. I haven't posted it yet because it was like billion o'clock in the morning when I made it, but I was sitting on my couch and I was sitting with my head sort of forward in a really awkward position for a very long time. And all it would take was me reaching over and grabbing a pillow and putting it behind my head. But for some reason, my brain always does this. My brain is like, no, we'll just remain in this uncomfortable position. It's fine. <laughs> it does that too. All you know, time. or like my feet are cold and I could just go out of the room 10 steps and get some socks. But no, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. my body's Have like, just endure it. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. Just endure no, it. It's just... way less convenient to get comfortable. Yep. So weird. So yeah let alone like confronting multiple people over a multiple state. No, mm -mm. no. Going Absolutely through no. boxes. Like, no, no, <laughs> no. Absolutely not. Good for them. Thank God. I'm so grateful that there are people out there who have the ability to follow through, look yes. stuff up, call yes. people, knock yeah. on doors. All, all of that for me is a no. Can't no. do it. Painstakingly going back through 
with no leads whatsoever, no DNA, DNA. no forensic evidence whatsoever, no Mm. buttons, no car fibers, nothing but a dead sweetie pie in the woods. So the detectives pursued all the leads, but found themselves particularly curious about the team of 80 security guards who had been Mm. living in the Mm. inn leading up to Janet's murder. The strike had ended soon after Janet was killed, and so a fair amount of them were never interviewed by police because they'd already left the area. The new detectives dedicated themselves to tracking down all 80 of the men who had been living in the inn and spent over a year finding and interviewing the security guards who were at that point scattered all over the country. See, I just yeah, no. yeah that's incredible. All 80 of them. Yeah. I feel like 25 years later. Jeremy Bubbins. Yeah. Jeremy Bubbins <laughs> would never kill someone. I think we can skip him. <laughs> that would be me. Be like, yeah. I'd be like, hmm, I'd rather picture a Jeremy Bubbins. Mm, yeah, definitely didn't do it. No, I, trust me. I get a, his vibe is, <laughs> is cool. He didn't do it. So the guards were working very long 12-hour days, and so most of them used the inn as a place to simply crash at the end of the day. And very few of them had any memory of Janet from their time there, as they rarely interacted with her or any of the other staff. I mean, outside of her murder, obviously, but they didn't have a, they didn't know her. One guard named Glenn Johnson, however, had information to share with the authorities that changed the course of the investigation completely. He told police that he'd heard a rumor back in 1979 that a guard named Robert Lynch had something to do with her murder. And if you'll remember, Robert Lynch was the guard who had claimed to have been on the Mm -hmm. phone with Janet when the robbery began and was also the one to call 911 to report the crime in progress. Detectives were able to retrieve a recording of the 911 call, which seems crazy to me, but they did. Good for them. Mm-hmm. And noted that Lynch did sound suspiciously calm and lacking of emotion for someone who had just heard a young woman being robbed in real time. That isn't necessarily proof that he had anything to do with her murder, but it did cause them to take a deeper look at Lynch as a suspect. Detectives contacted Lynch's roommate from that time, a man named Harry Keith, and said that Keith got particularly emotional when he saw a photo in the documentary that showed Janet sitting on the lap of one of the security guards who had lived at the inn. (sighs) They said that Keith then produced a photo album that contained pictures that he had taken during that time, and police were given a much clearer picture of what life at the inn had been like. One of them described it as a, quote, den of iniquity, a place where the guests and staff could drink, take drugs, and have sex without any supervision. Quote, after hours, the strike breakers and guards let loose at the Blue Mill Inn, a motel on the edge of town where rooms were reserved for the approximately 80-man whack-and-hut force. A bar next door, the tap room, was full of local women waiting for the men, almost all out-of-towners, to blow their paychecks when their 12-hour shifts ended. This, the quote continues, From the outside, the Blue Mill may have looked like any other roadside motel in America, but inside, every appetite was being sated. And most surprising of all, 
was that the sweet, spiritual, sheltered Janet seemed to be at the center of the wild times at the Blue Mill Inn. It became clear to detectives that they needed to dig deeper to get a better sense of Janet's life and who she really was, as all they had ever been told was how meek, mild-mannered, and deeply religious she was. I'm so surprised none of that came out before mm-hmm. now. I don't know if they were super prepared to do a very good job. It was also the yeah. 90s, like the 70s. And I mean, if nothing just, else, like people love to gossip in small towns, especially about like the Christian girl turned wild or whatever. Oh, so I don't think that that many people knew. And I think that a huge part of the issue was that all of these men, almost all of these men lived out of town. They weren't right. from Holland. Left right away. They, yep, they left yeah. right away. And even the ones who were interviewed, I think it was like a very 1970s sort of, we are on the same team. Yeah. Vibe is what I'm imagining. So they're asking these guys questions and they're like, I don't know. Or... And they could also probably have lost their jobs, right? Like if the story came out that... Oh, for were, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah that they were partying with the... Yeah. 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 But... Yeah, I would I would have, as a detective, been like, oh, there were 80 rough Men. and tumble dudes <laughs> living at this right. inn that she was abducted from. Maybe we hmm. should take a deeper look at them. But I really think it was probably more of a, we're cops, you're cops, we're cool. Yeah. 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 So they then launched the many months long process of what is known as victimology, which is a painstaking process of building a detailed picture of who the victim was inside and out to help lead them in the direction of anyone she would have encountered who would have been capable of the crimes carried out against her. To do this, they revisited her group of close friends to find out as much as they could about sides of her life that her parents and loved ones might not have been privy to. It quickly became clear to them that Janet presented one side of her personality to her parents and led a whole other life behind their backs. Mm -hmm. So Janet had started her college career at Muskegon Community College in 1974 when she was just 17 years old and had found herself feeling very out of her element as she was exposed to drinking and partying for the first time in her young life. When she was still 17, she also started a relationship with a middle-aged man who had convinced her to have sex for the first time. And they would meet twice a week at her parents' house to hook up. Oh, it's so hard not to just, like, dive right into the problems with, like, shame-based religion. <laughs> I'm not going to go there, but, I like, know. You know. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Yes, trust me. Oh, I know. Poor... Poor darling. So Janet's parents were completely in the dark about the affair, but Janet told one of her close childhood friends about it. The two continued their relationship for around a year. And when police interviewed the man about her murder years later, he expressed regret for taking advantage of the teenager and said he felt guilty because he had taken advantage of her girlhood crush. (laughs) Quote, a woman who had known her since childhood said that after the affair, Janet's, quote, religious views changed because she realized that, quote, if she sinned, 
she was not going to immediately go to hell. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Sorry. I remember it's having so a similar hard. revelation my own yes. self, which yes. is crazy. Yeah. Well, and that's the problem. It's like when you threaten your children, do you have empty threats? You're, yes. If, you know, like I, if I'm going to take away your TV or whatever and you don't do it, it's yep. very much that feeling of the things that you're told, especially as children with like growing up in a conservative Christian area. And then those threats fall flat and the world doesn't crumble and right. the, God doesn't strike you down immediately after you do something that he should be striking you down for. And then you're like, okay. Right. So the world didn't end. The world didn't end. And also and that now was I fun. Need, yeah. Now I need to explore and I can't talk to the people that I should be able to talk to about it. Yeah. And I don't have a sense of any, like what's too far, what's safe, what isn't, what Correct. is sex. Right. I don't know. Like all of it. Yeah. Also, oh, this is a middle-aged man who's preying on a teenage girl, so that's yes. fucking complicated as hell. Totally. It's like you, if you're that sheltered and some middle-aged man comes along and you're going to assume you can trust him because he's a much older man, and then you start doing things together that go against your deeply held beliefs, but you can't talk to anybody that you love about it because yeah. you're being a sinner. It's just like, ugh, it's just an impossible trap. So this week, Care Of is a sponsor of today's episode. What is Care Of, you ask? Well, Care Of is a subscription service that ships high quality personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. Health is deeply human and it has to be personal, so Care Of is there to help you find what works for you. You take a short, in-depth quiz about your lifestyle and health goals for a personalized, doctor-backed recommendation. And the quiz can be retaken at any time to switch up your packs as your lifestyle needs change. Who doesn't love to talk about themselves, even to themselves? You know <laughs> I what I mean? It. Yeah. Like, I cannot get enough of taking a quiz, especially when it's about my own self. Seriously. And the quiz was really easy. Uh, you know, like, what are your goals? What do you want to improve? Sleep, digestion, hair, nails. Yes. All of the things that adult human beings are concerned about and are looking for answers for mm -hmm. and care of makes it so easy because it shows up at your house. The packaging is beautiful. Take it from this aesthetic snob. Mm -hmm. It's very beautiful packaging. So you want to have it in your cabinet. You want to have it out on your countertop. And things are pre-packaged, pre-portioned. So you don't have to do math. <laughs> You're ready to go. And uh, there's a significantly less packaging than other vitamins and supplements I've taken. I also noticed. Right. I have become addicted to the chia flags. I'm a huge fan of chia. Add some mm -hmm. flax in there, sprinkle it on my yogurt, which I have every single morning, and it's delicious. And the thing I like the most about chia is it keeps me full. It really mm -hmm. honestly keeps me full. Amazing for digestive health, which is something I'm always in support of. And it doesn't and it tastes great. Yeah. I've noticed my digestion is better. My fingernails were breaking like crazy. They're a little bit stronger. Mm -hmm. Care of makes it easy. Yes. For 50% off your first care of order, go to careof.com and enter code they will. That is careof.com and enter code they will for 
50% off your first care of order. Yeah, let's like practically 50% off. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Do it. Yep. So detectives also tracked down Lori Swank, Janet's best friend at the time she was murdered, who was then in her 40s, living in Pennsylvania and working as a nurse's assistant. She remembered Janet warmly and called her, quote, musical and fun-loving when questioned by the police and confirmed that Janet had engaged in a couple of affairs with some of the security guards who had been living in the Blue Mill. Lori explained that the guards were known for throwing wild parties at the hotel and in their rooms, and plenty of women from around town had attended those parties, including she and Janet. She also admitted to having had affairs with a couple of the guards while they lived in the inn. Lori had left Holland soon after Janet's murder, which was a detail that particularly caught the attention of two of the students who worked on the documentary. Detectives also noted that Robert Lynch was in a lot of the photos that also contained Janet, and so focused even more attention on the man who had been the last person to claim to have been in contact with Janet before her murder. Robert Lynch had been 39 at the time of Janet's death, so was significantly older than the other guards, and had returned home to his wife and two kids in Three Oaks, Michigan, which is right up the street from me. Really (laughs) up the street. I go to Three Oaks weekly. It is right there, you guys. That freaked me out. And, oh, God, it's not about me, but I think about this all the time, that there are just murderers. You're just walking around, and there are murderers, and you're just bumping into murderers, and you're talking to murderers, and you're getting snacks from murderers at the snack store, and, like... (laughs) Murderers, they're everywhere. (laughs) They're everywhere. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Robert Lynch and I did not overlap. I did not live here when Robert Lynch lived here, but yuck. So once he was back home, he opened a beauty school for his wife. Oh, no. Which became a big old success. And by all accounts, he led a perfect life in the idyllic southwest Michigan town. Detectives interviewed Lynch multiple times and didn't get a whole lot further, but he eventually admitted that he'd had a sexual encounter with Janet before her murder, but denied having anything else to do with her abduction or death. On another occasion, he said something that very much got their attention. He said, quote, well, it was just a party that went haywire. Mm -mm. Uh Uh-huh. God, it's amazing that they get people to talk. Like it really so is. much time has passed and you just keep like, whoop, nope. Not, well, I don't have anything to say. I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. But they just keep going. Keep, well, they did say that the, that the amount of time that had passed, like when the documentary was made and they reopened the case, they said that it actually generally works in their favor that it's been so many years because mm-hmm. people's circumstances have changed so much. They have kids of their own. All these things happen in their life that soften them or they've lived with this deep feeling of deep regret and constant anxiety for so right. long. You know, that has such an effect on you that they weren't super surprised that people started peeling back the layers. And I think they were also just persistent. It does sound like they met with Lynch like multiple times before Mm -hmm. he started to give them anything. So 
this was the first time in the entire duration of the investigation that anyone had mentioned that there had been a party that night. And Lynch clammed up after mentioning it, but the detectives kept pushing. One day, while visiting him in Three Oaks, detectives said he opened up even more after he started to talk about his father, who had passed just before Janet's murder. Mm. Quote, I regret my whole life, he told detectives. Some of the things I've done, I don't even want to talk about. The detective, the detective delicately steered the conversation to the thoughts that were weighing on him. Quote, do you believe in karma? He asked Lynch. I think you drink to forget something. Oh, Lynch was a terrible alcoholic, by the way. No big surprise. Lynch thought for a moment. I'm not drinking to forget, he said. I'm running from everything. Oh. A couple of months oh, later. God, that's yeah. just so chilling. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just out here oh. drinking my life away. Holding a big, 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 crazy, crazy big secret. So a couple of months later, detectives got a big break when one of them showed Lynch the documentary about Janet's death again and paused the section where her father broke down and talked about the experience of losing his only daughter so viciously. The detective paused the film and asked Lynch to consider what it would feel like to go through something so awful and it fucking worked. Oh, God. Lynch's own daughter was around the age that Janet had been when she died. And so Lynch broke down and started to unravel the 25-year-old mystery of what had actually happened to Janet that night. This is like chill nation. Just Courtney. wait, Sadie. Dude. Yeah. No, I was not prepared for this one. <laughs> really wasn't. No. On the night that Janet was murdered... Quote, the usually flirtatious mood in the hotel felt more, quote, raw, and all of the attention was on Janet. And it seemed that jealousy and resentment had been building between the guards who lived at the motel as they interacted with the beautiful young woman. A man named Arthur Piva was the lead guard living at the inn, and he'd had a relationship with Janet that had recently ended, and he hadn't taken the breakup well. After they'd broken up, Janet had continued to flirt with the other guards and had hooked up with them, with multiple of them. On top of his heartbreak, Paiva was also their boss. Oh no. So the affairs very much did not sit well with him. And others reported that he'd started referring to her as, quote, that slut. Oh, no. One of the maids at the inn, Cheryl Ruiz, had also developed a serious dislike for Janet after learning that she'd had an affair with her boyfriend. Oh. So Arthur Paiva had taken it upon himself to organize a surprise party. Oh, no. For the night of January 30th, with Janet as the guest of honor to, quote, teach her a lesson oh, mother i can't yes so if you guys need to bail this is the time to bail because it's gonna here we go terrible. yeah this is bad this is very bad it gets very bad from here on out he instructed his fellow guard james bubba nelson to collect janet at 2 a.m and bring her to the cottage paiva was living in the cottage was located on the paint plant property, 
so was separated from the Blue Mill Inn. After Janet was away from the inn, the plan was for Lynch to make the fake 911 call to throw off authorities while the group carried out their plan for Janet. When Lynch and Nelson had told Janet that she was invited to a party and she was the guest of honor, she went with them willingly as they had become her friends and she had no reason to suspect the horrors that were in store for her. They told her they needed to put gauze over her eyes, then tape it shut because the party was a surprise and she agreed. Janet's female colleagues, Diane Marsman and Cheryl Ruiz, had also been involved in the planning of the party and watched from the second story balcony as Lynch and Nelson led Janet to the car that night. Cheryl testified that she knew the plan had been to strangle and torture Janet, but that she, quote, didn't know it was going to be that rough or that extreme. Yes. What did she think it was going to be? Oh, yeah. Two employees of the Blue Mill would later testify under oath that the party's express purpose was for Janet to get, quote, gang banged. Oh, God. Uh, Paiva allegedly told Swank, Lori Swank, Janet's best friend, that the guards were going to, quote, pass Janet around to, quote, teach her a lesson. Yeah. So Lynch also told detectives that a third woman had been involved in the plot and she'd played a pivotal role as she'd been the one closest to Janet. And that woman was, of course, Lori Swank. Lori had grown jealous of all of the attention Janet was receiving from the guards, particularly Arthur Paiva, because she'd had a crush on him, so was happy to participate in her best friend's demise. God, I can't, I can't help but think about how often this happens also. Like the, yeah. a gang of yeah. people killing the one innocent person yeah, because of jealousy or just wanting to be feeling powerful or it's just like how 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 or it reminds me of the prank call the hoax yes guy like the fact that one person could manipulate a whole group of people into doing terrible things like we're just sheep when it comes down to it we are just terrible sheep sheep. yeah evil mean sheep yeah so Lori Swank had also been the first one to tell Paiva that Janet had been fooling around with other men in the first place. So Janet was taken to Paiva's cottage on January 30th, and she was kept there all night and all of the next day mm. until the real party was scheduled to start on the evening of January 31st. Uh, the party hadn't even started? No. Oh, my God. So Lynch reported that he'd arrived at the cottage around 6 p.m. after he'd gotten off of work. And there were around 25 people at the cottage. And the party seemed to be just like any other with everyone relaxing and enjoying themselves. He said that when he ventured upstairs, however, he found Janet naked and tied up with duct tape over her mouth. A little while later, they also blindfolded her with duct tape. Okay, last chance to bail, guys, because here we go. This is, this is the worst part. So around six guards had taken turns raping Janet since she'd been there, and one guard had tied a belt around her neck, and the guards were using it to control her. 
The men who participated in the rapes were Arthur Paiva, James Bubba Nelson, Freddie Parker, Anthony Williams, and Robert Lynch. Lori Swank and Janet's other female co-workers had been present as Janet was tortured and raped and had witnessed the unspeakable violence inflicted on her that day and didn't intervene in any way. When it was Robert Lynch's turn to assault Janet, he was, quote, pulling up on the belt and releasing it and pulling up on the belt <laughs> and releasing it and eventually pulled too hard on the belt around her neck and she died. Ay, 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 ay. Paiva shouted, quote, this fucking party is over. And the other guests scattered at the sight of the dead woman. Oh, my God. Yeah. Lynch, Paiva and other guards then put Janet's lifeless body in a car and drove it an hour south where they dumped it in a wooded area. The women who had been at the party claimed that the male guards had threatened to kill them if they said a word about what happened one of the guards who had attended the party, a man named Ron Weirick, had been instructed by Paiva to take photos all night, and then Paiva kept them as blackmail against the other attendees. Everyone who had participated in the horrendous last 24 hours of Janet's life were brought to trial so that Janet's loved ones could finally get the justice they'd been waiting for so long to receive. Robert Lynch, Arthur Paiva, Lori Swank, and James Bubba Nelson, Freddie Parker, and Anthony Williams were all charged with the first-degree murder of Janet Chandler. Lynch took a plea to plead guilty to second-degree murder in exchange for his confession and cooperation and was sentenced to 25 to 40 years in prison. Lori Swank, who described herself as a part of the, quote, cheering section, mm who called Janet a bitch and encouraged the things that the men did to her that night, also agreed to a plea in exchange for her full testimony at court, and she was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison. Listening to her testimony, I only saw snippets. It is, if you ever want to just get chilled to the freaking bone, it's as if she was sort of possessed by honesty. Like, it's sort of like the guilt and the shame just came like rushing to the front of her face and she just said the craziest shit almost despite herself. You know what I mean? Can you give an example? Yeah, here we go. Okay. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I'm just, if I, yeah, I regret just like asking, but... Watching her, it's like, wow, that is very honest. That is yeah. creepily honest. So when the prosecutor asked her about the goal of the night, she responded, quote, they were going to fuck Janet to death. Oh. This woman is a nurse. Nurse. She's oh. a 40-something-year-old nurse oh. and a mom. She has a oh parents. God. She has a family. And like. Well, and of all the ways to put that. Yeah. Oh, God. Quote, was Janet already being raped when you came into the room? The prosecutor asked. Yes, Swank said quietly. The prosecutor then asked her witness, quote, tell the court what you did in that room, Miss Swank. Quote, I observed, she said. I called Janet a bitch numerous times. I watched. I became upset at one point. I saw, well, they were all using the belt around Janet's neck. Ugh. Ugh. <sighs> 
Cheryl and Diane also testified about what happened that night. And then on October 16th, 2007, the trial began for Piva, Parker, Nelson, and Williams, who were all tried together. Oh, man. That's so many people. Yeah. The prosecution said the motive for the murder was a, quote, common drive to brutalize Janet Chandler. And the entire case rested on the testimony of witnesses who had been present at the murders 25 years previous. And to make matters worse, Robert Lynch was unable to testify because he was suffering from dementia brought on by years and years of heavy drinking. Despite the uphill battle to prove the participation of the four men, all four were sentenced to life in prison for their participation in Janet Chandler's abduction, rapes, and murder. Good. One of the detectives who had originally worked on the case but had since retired cried as he apologized for taking so long to... Oof. Oof. You guys, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to get through a case without crying again. I Something has <laughs> opened in me. I, like the compartmentalization has uh, gone away. It is yeah. all here now. It all lives inside of me. Yeah. Ooh. But he, had cry, he cried as he apologized for taking so long to bring Janet's killers to justice. So the families of the people involved in the horrible night were all understandably shocked to their core mm -hmm. to learn that their spouses, fathers, and mothers had been involved in something so awful. Quote, for the defendant's families, the allegations came out of nowhere. Who could imagine? Could you, no, who? like I, our parents were that age in the seventies. Could you imagine? No, <laughs> I mean, like, and, like I don't. Like, oh, hey, this is I did something very terrible. I I hesitated to even bring this up, but it's part of the. It's one of the things that chills me the most that these people have these completely normal lives. Like they did yeah. something so horrendously awful. I mean, this is like put it Beyond. right up in there in the top twenty of cases we've ever covered of horrible shit that has happened yeah. to somebody and so I can't I couldn't help but think about these families and I found an entire article about them so quote for the defendant's families the allegations came out of nowhere who could imagine a dad as suspected in such a calculated cruel killing who could imagine a daughter with a daughter of her own mm -hmm inciting the mob that raped Chandler over the course of hours and killed her. So Freddie Parker was a father and grandfather when he was arrested. He'd worked as an orthopedic technician for oh. 25 years and had also been a volunteer firefighter. How? Yeah. How do you live with yourself? No, you, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like drinking yourself to dementia makes sense. That's how yeah. you get through yes. it. Otherwise, I don't, that you don't, like, how? How yeah. do you get up every day? Yeah, and you and just go and be an orthopedic technician and oh. show up at the fucking picnic breakfast at the volunteer firefighting station. Fuck that. That's no. sad. Is not okay. Live right up the street from me, Courtney Eck. Yeah. Right up in no. Three Oaks where I go to get my freaking throw pillows. <laughs> you know? God. 
James Nelson had autistic teen sons that required constant care and had to move in with a friend after Nelson's arrest. Paiva also had an adult son and daughter who stood by their father at trial and had to endure stories about what he did to an innocent young woman who had been around their age when their father was the mastermind for her torture, rape, and murder. So they were like, and a lot of the families of these guys were like, he wasn't actually there, he didn't do it, you've got the wrong guy, blah, blah, blah. But imagine being like, oh, my father didn't do this. I'm going to stand by him getting to trial and then hearing that your dad was undoubtedly the one who had not only planned it, but then had like hired a fucking photographer to photograph the entire night for blackmail purposes. No, I I can't. Like that's... it's not obviously not as horrific as what Janet went through, but Absolutely it's not. like a different level of her horror. Like, yeah. And if they inherited their father's sociopathy, uh, then maybe they could just like compartmentalize that enough to not believe it. But I, I just can't, mm, I cannot imagine. Mm-hmm, no. Quote, at the sentencing, the Chandlers addressed the court. Quote, you broke our family circle. Glenna said to Lynch, but it will be complete again in heaven with Janet. Then she added a motherly dagger, quote, tell us, what lesson did you teach your family? Her husband had a harder time speaking, quote, what can I say to people who have no conscience or regard for human life? He started shaking. He couldn't finish and had to be led away. Oh, I'm going to be sick. Yep. Later, they also wrote, quote, every time a friend of Jan's got married, we suffered. Yeah, dude. Ugh. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I only have three more sentences. You can do it. It's okay. I can't can't do it. It's too sad. It's too devastating. Quote, every newborn baby reminds us of our empty arms that she should have filled. These are the things that time doesn't ever heal. Quote, we've heard everything now that could possibly come out. And a lot, I'm sure, was false. Her father said, people say you didn't have to do this, but yes, I did. These doors had to be opened to get those who are guilty of this crime. Knowing Janet couldn't speak for herself was the hardest thing. (sighs) So, (laughs) there you go, guys. (laughs) Thank you. Wow. Listener. (sighs) Recommended that case was like, she wrote, she wrote this week. And I was like, ooh, Holland, Michigan. Ooh, oh, okay. And she specifically said, 
This is one of the craziest cases I've ever heard. I've only heard it covered once by case file a million years ago. Yeah. I can't believe no one else has ever covered it. Would you please cover it? And I was like, cool, that sounds intriguing. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> what? Uh-huh. And honestly, uh-huh. even like I knew who I knew two of the people who were responsible. And so I'm writing this story and I knew that Robert Lynch and I knew that Lori Swank had something to do with it. And Mm -hmm. I'm assuming as I'm going along that they had had some sort of affair and it was a love triangle or something. Oh, wow. No, not like Arthur Piva comes out of fucking nowhere and is masterminding some creepy, psychotic surprise party. No. What? Like, yeah, I remember the, some of the vague detail. I've, I love case file. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm sure I listened to the episode, but I forgot, man, because that's a terrible thing to keep in your brain. I I also, I mean, good God, like the strength, the endurance of her parents and then being in your, I'm assuming, 80s, late 70s, early 80s, mid 80s, by the time you find out that who, who killed your daughter and then finding out it was a whole ass fucking community of people who killed your daughter no. savagely and brutally and like, for fun. What? Yeah. You're at the end of your life and that is the information that you are being dealt and have to process? No. no. Are you kidding me? Yeah, no. And that they I all mean, knew this whole time and nobody said anything, not any yeah. of the women who were on the periphery, not any of nobody. the men, not a, like any of the people who had heard the rumors and the police hadn't been able to get that out of anybody. Like I would be Fucking God. Thank God that poli- that detective cried when he apologized to the public because, phew, listen. Like, yeah, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. That is, yeah. A, it is unforgivable. 5,000 different ways you split it. That is just so unforgivable. Wow. Yeah. Well, very well told. Uh-huh. I, my heart... I know. It is in pieces. That is one that sinks into your bones, man. That is, yeah. 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 It's just, it's such a slice of humanity that I don't ever want to think about or look at or. No. No. None of the above, please. Mm -mm. Awful. Mm -mm. No. The fact that human beings can do that and then just continue to act like human beings. Yeah. Mm mm. No, thank you. No, thank you. I will be someplace else. I will be ascending now. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Sadie and I were talking about on our Patreon last week. Sadie's been just having, you know, dealing with some deep emotions and a little like just dabbling in a little depression. And, uh, you know, we've pretty much identified that it is has a lot to do with her being triggered when her children are home because she went through covid with them and <laughs> you know it's complicated so her kids get right. are off of school for the summer and of course her brain goes into total fight or flight and is like well now you can't ever do anything fun because anytime your, your kids are home is over it's catastrophic right so yeah. but anyway we were talking about it and i'm having a really revelatory sort of magical time right now. I haven't felt this inspired or energized or motivated or excited probably since I met my wife. So we're just talking, kind of half joking about how a portal has opened and it's the energy it's bringing is really intense. 
And then joking about the fact that I'll just say shit like that as if it's fact. I'm like, no, it's the portal, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, duh. Yeah, energetically, it feels to me like there's a portal open. I've felt this feeling a few times in my life. And so it's, what else do you call it? A portal. Well, it turns out there actually is scientifically some sort of portal open right now. <laughs> What's it called? The it's like Schumann. Ehlers Danlos. No, it's not Ehlers Danlos. <laughs> yeah, uh, to look it up. So it the Earth's start. frequency is measured. We do measure the Earth's yeah, the, frequency. It is Schumann resonance. There you go. The Schumann resonance measures the Earth's vibrational frequency. And over the weekend, it went off the damn charts. It started registering at a frequency that it has never registered before. And so that, uh, according to my hippie woo-woo TikTok, is a sign of us ascending into 5D. So there, take do with that what you will. But <laughs> <laughs> for me, it means mild depression. For Courtney, it means all of her wildest dreams come true. Exactly. <laughs> well, that, you know, according to woo-woo TikTok, people talking about ascending into 5D, they're like, yes, yeah, some of you are have never felt better. And some of you probably feel like shit. Yeah. And they were also like, you're not sleeping, are you? And I'm like, no, I really oh, am not. No. I have not been able to go to I sleep. I've been 2 a.m. bedtime for the last three days. And that's a little, that's a little old Earth's frequency. Mm -hmm. Tone it down a bit. But Seriously. Regardless of whether or not we are ascending to 5D, <laughs> I, would, I would assume that when the Earth is vibrating that intensely, that it would, we, it would affect us in some way or another. I don't... I can't imagine that that much energy being generated by the planet Earth wouldn't affect us right. physically or emotionally in some way or another. So it was yeah. a bit of a relief, I think, to learn that, A, when I say hilarious shit like it's the portal, <laughs> there's actually some That's truth exactly. to it. But B, <laughs> that it, there is like, yeah, there are forces yeah. Much, much larger than us acting upon us at the moment. So if you're feeling a little cuckoo crazy or really, really good, that's probably why. All right. Also well, life. I, also life. Right. And I realized the more I've thought, like kind of sat in my feelings because nothing is wrong. You right. know, my kids are great. I'm healthier and happier than I've ever been. But I still have this like overarching sadness that I can't shake. Yep. And when I was sitting in that feeling, like, what is it? Where does it come from? It it really is like the fact that we went through COVID and I felt all of that very hard, as you yes. all know. I mean, like you were there with me and the relief of getting through it and like getting my kids vaccinated and like finally allowing myself to let it go. That felt so good for so long. I'm right. going to cry, but like now it's sort of that like the relief is past and now I feel really sad about it. Yeah. It, you know? Yes. And the fact that it's, as a society, we're like, okay, moving on to the next thing. But like thinking about how many people died and the isolation and what it did to our kids and each other and the time that I lost, like with my, who, my little was two when it started. And yeah, it's just sad. Yeah. It's a lot so. to mourn. It's an awful lot to mourn. Yep. And I feel things hard, so... Yeah, you know, just if you if you have similar feelings right now, you're not alone. No, and then your kids come home from school for the summer, and you've just started to feel <laughs> you're medicated. You started yeah. to sort of like feel yourself again, and yep. be motivated and excited and inspired to do things. And then your yep. kids are home, which 
breaks into that time, which is <laughs> so much, <laughs> you know, that it's like, of course it's going to trigger that. And, yeah. you know, once you're, if your kids are listening to this down the road, that doesn't mean that they, she doesn't want to spend time with you. No. That means that mommy's traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> well, it also means that I, I am my own person aside from them and it's hard to split yourself, even though that they are my life and I love them dearly, that it just is challenging. And one day if they choose to have kids, they'll not understand better. But I was talking to a friend that I recently got getting to know and her son is in my son's second, what they were in second grade together. And mm-hmm. uh, my oldest was walking with us and I was talking to her and I was being really honest about the feelings of motherhood mm. and kind of forgot that he was there, but I didn't say anything that was not true or super hurtful, but he was like, wait, mom, what? Yeah. And I was like, you know, it's just, it's like, it's hard to explain that. Like the shift that you experience as a parent, when you become a parent and how you sort of have your old self here and your new self there, and you're constantly trying to figure out how to merge them. Mm-hmm. And that's always been the struggle for me as a mom. Yeah. And he just kind of looked at me and rolled his eyes and you know, yeah, <laughs> right. It's not, and it's not for him to worry about. You right. know, like it's right. And I he, said, I I made choices, and I will never regret having you. I love you so much, and I'm just being honest about the struggles. And and hopefully, yeah. if he decides to become a parent one day, then he'll know. At least he can come and talk to me if he's struggling too. Well, and I don't think we've talked about this before, but I don't think it's something that's talked about enough. Like really, right. how enormous that chasm is between life before children and life with children. And it's such a romanticized sort Mm -hmm. of phase of of a person's life. And for a lot of people, it is very romantic and very fulfilling. And it's like the best thing that ever happened to them. And it gives them purpose and they feel happier than they've ever felt. But I think for a lot of people, it is that and also hard. And for a lot of people, it's just fucking hard. And Mm -hmm. there's no way to prepare you for it, I'm sure but especially not in a culture that puts this expectation that having kids is like the best and only thing that you can do to be a whole person. And that if you don't enjoy every second of it and relish in the miracle that is parenthood, that you are (laughs) a bad bad person person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) or an unfit parent. And so out of shame for feeling like a bad person or unfit parent, you just don't fucking talk about it. And then the cycle continues and then people have children and they're not prepared for it. And so Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we are. How are that is where we are. We are on equal, equal ends of the, on opposite ends of the uh, <laughs> portal experience of our ascension to 5D. No. Well, and it's like, I was like, you know, what, what is a codependent relationship? I need to like look up the de- definition, but like when, for me anyway, when you, Courtney is and I are on the same, oftentimes I'd say you and I are having similar experiences in life, right? Mm-hmm. Like different, but similar. And yeah. what then when we like branch off like we are right now where you're just, and I, yeah, just having like the best time and figuring out what you want and yeah. be, you know, having the creativity and the community and all of these really intense, wonderful things. And then I'm over here like, oh my God, I have to make lunch for the 12th time today. And yeah. you know, yeah. it's like, it's hard emotionally, not that I would ever want to like bring you where I am, but yeah. you know, for us to have such different experiences, I was like, okay, well, so... I can go, I can go weed a garden. That'll be fulfilling. (laughs) 
totally, dude. So totally. Just, yeah. 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 And I, I, I say this to you all the time and I want to just say this out loud for people who are listening. One thing I say to Sadie is I have pursued this actively my entire life and definitely my entire adult life. And so people who don't feel as like, I think, I think that Sadie in compare when, when comparing us to each other and especially doing something that's so public facing, I think that Sadie will feel inadequate because I am, I take to certain aspects of this job better. And I'm like, no, no, no. I have had to really push for years to get to a place that I'm even remotely comfortable doing this. Mm -hmm. And so it is something, I guess I'm saying this out loud to say that, A, if you don't feel sort of the confidence that you see in other people, it's not probably not because they were just born with it. It's probably because they've pushed through and sought it out. And B, if you are somebody who feels like an alien in a human body, you're probably neurodivergent, but also <laughs> you can get there. There, it will totally. come. You just, ha I mean, it really is like a practice. It's just like anything else. So, totally. you know, and also having kids is going to put a big old wrench in that and change things significantly. So really consider that before you do that, uh, depending on your priorities in life. But yeah, I, uh, I, I feel that and I... Yeah, it's just, it's interesting how you and I have faced life and processed life and how absolutely the same and absolutely different those experiences have been. It's pretty yeah. wild when yeah. you think about it. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. Right? You'd think because we are in some ways so similar that we would choose similar paths and yeah. we have and we haven't. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I always forget that we don't just do all the exact same things. Like in my mind, you're in New York with me all the time, or you're, you know, but you're not, <laughs> no, no, you know, I it's do. weird. Yes. It's weird. I agree. I understand. Yes. Yeah. I feel the same way that you are like helping me try to figure out how to wash my dishes from start to finish. Ugh, no, thank the you. You're on your own I, there, dude. No I completely way. loaded my dishwasher, like start to finish. Everything was in there. It was completely full. And then I just never ran it and didn't start it. Listen, I'm still trying to put a pillow <laughs> behind my own head that's sitting right next to me. I, I cannot come over uh, and help you start that dishwasher. Uh, you no, is on nobody you. can. Boo -boo. Nobody can. No. Um, yeah. And I, I love too that I can experience my own like mild sadness and my absolute excitement and support of all of the things that you're doing. And oh, for sure. Uh, I yeah. really like. I'm just. I'm so excited to see what happens and. In general, I just see everything coming all the time. That's how it, I felt for years is I can yeah. feel it coming. I can see it coming. I don't know what that means, but yep. I see it so clearly for you. And it's very, very exciting for me. Yeah. And I can yeah. say the same for you. Your path is a longer one right now, I feel like, mm -hmm. like a harder one, more challenging one. But, mm -hmm. you know, the amount of growth that you've experienced, especially since we started this podcast is insane, dude. It's totally. insane. No, I'm super proud of myself and, you should and be. really overall very happy yeah. with who I am and where I've gone. Yeah, it's also, sure. I think part of the, I will say that part of starting to realize yourself and having things start to work 
uh, especially creatively, uh, is very vulnerable. And it's really mm-hmm. sad because then when you don't have access to it, it's really, <laughs> really hard. Big time. It's harder than just about anything in the world. So, yeah. Yeah. Big time. I get it. Um, and then I see these tiny humans that I've created bumbling around through <sighs> life being really interesting, cool kids. And I'm like, okay, like yeah. this is, this is the best thing I've done. They really are. Dad and I were yeah. talking about that on Father's Day, just about how interesting they are and interested. They're just mm-hmm. such curious, interesting people. They're so fun and funny and smart and curious. I think that's <laughs> like, I, I am so grateful for their curiosity. Yes, because. One would assume that two boys like born in the Midwest and whatever, you know, I just, no, they're, Mm. they're just so interested and interesting and I am so excited. I get more excited about knowing them every year. They're, they are just the best. They're the best. My five-year-old, I took them over to their grandparents this morning and we were driving. (laughs) We were, they were asking me about basically like, what was it like before they were born? You know, uh-huh. like, so when did, did, when did you have us is what the five-year-old was asking. And did I know Ryan before I had him? And I was like, well, yeah, you know, dad, I, I think because I had said something like we'd been, we've been together for 13 years, which is crazy, but Ryan and I have yeah. been together for 13 years total. And they were doing the math and the little one realized that I have known his dad for much longer than he's been alive. Uh-huh. And uh, so we were, I was like, yeah, you know, I didn't have kids. I, I wanted kids with daddy and blah, blah, blah. And so that's, we got married and then had kids. And he's like, I'm going to have a kid. And I was like, okay. And I kind of was just asking him questions like you can or not or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, I'm definitely going to have at least one baby. And I was like, not two. And he was like, mom, I'm busy eating my popcorn. I don't really want to think about that right now. And I was like, you brought it up. <laughs> and I look back and he's eating old popcorn from his baseball game last night. Uh, puts things in perspective. <laughs> you're like, that's exactly Aunt Courtney's life motto too, kiddo. I'm no, too busy eating old popcorn. I can't think about that right now. <laughs> Having children? Uh, uh, wait, will, at five? I will, oh. I'll opt for old popcorn instead. Thank you. Please. Give me, yes. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Unbelievable. Anyway. Anyway, well, I feel so emotionally like wrecked and also yeah. happy that I think uh, let's just end it there today I yeah think I think that, so too we did um, it we don't need to put some put some funny on top of the the real and soft and honest emotions so other soft honest emotions are that we love you guys so much so much <laughs> and we, we if you want to spend more time with us you can find us on Instagram Twitter TikTok or YouTube at they will kill you can Go to our website, theywillkill.com, and you can always email us at theywillkillpodcast at gmail.com. You can rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, uh, spread the word, go on Reddit, get on top of your house and just start shouting. Just scream it weirdly, incomprehensibly, just screaming about it (laughs) from your rooftop. Uh, That helps us. Spread the word. Thank you, AJ Bergans, for your music. Thank I will you. be able to thank you in person in just like four days. Yeah, you thank little you so baby. much, babies. And remember, oh, yeah. Listen, portals open. Portals open. Do with it what you will. 
if you're not sleeping, that's why. If you're depressed, that's why. And if you're happier than you've ever been, that's probably why. Or there are things you need to address or uh, pursue. Absolutely. <laughs> life probably is Probably all of those things. All of those things. Yes. You're just feeling them harder because the earth is vibrating at a frequency <laughs> that it's never vibrated since it's been recorded. I don't know how long it's been recorded, but yeah, I don't know, six months. <laughs> Let's see how long we've been recording this some bitch. Um, how long measuring earth frequency Schumann resonances heartbeat of the earth is what they call it ooh it gives me the chills so when okay 1893 1893 well this guy figured out that the upper layers of the atmosphere must be fairly good conductors so 1918 they figured out the spherical waves guides um, 1952 to 1954, Schumann, together with H.L. Koenig, attempted to measure the resonant frequencies. However, it was not until measurements made by Balzi and Wagner, <laughs> oh, Balzer, even better, Balzer wow. and Wagner, 1960-1963, that adequate analysis techniques were available to extract the resonance information from the background noise. Since then, there has been an increasing interest in Schumann resonances in a wide variety of fields. So we've been looking at this shit since the 60s, y'all, and it just yeah. popped off harder than it's ever popped off. So do with that what you will. We love you. We love you. We'll see you real soon. Your frequencies are vibrating high. And that's all I know. <laughs> see you real soon. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.